Lord Jesus, there's a thousand things we're worried about. We're not on an ark today, but sometimes it feels like it. We're in the midst of uncertainty. And so we come to you and we open your word and we ask this thing, this one thing. Would you be our certainty? Communicate it in in a thousand different ways, but somehow we want to leave here certain of who you are to us and who we are to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. How's your family tree look? Hmm? How does your family tree look? All right, you got your grandma and your grandpa. Most of us, at some point, you have this family tree that comes from a, a mom and a dad. No matter whether how involved they were or how traditional your family looked, there was a mom and a dad. There had to be a mom and a dad at some point. And each one of them had a mom and a dad, which makes some grandparents. And each one of them had a mom and a dad. All of these, going back up the family tree, have, have had some impact. They have passed something down. Genetics, epigenetics, they're saying somehow you were influenced. You are who you are because of this lineage, this family tree. What, what is your heritage? Maybe you've seen this flying around, this this just let's count some numbers, huh? I'll put the numbers on the screen for you so you can all keep track. You had two parents. All right, we can we're all right there. Four great grand Well we're we're uh, four grandparents. We've got double greats there, but uh, four grandparents, eight great grandparents. All right? And then 16 second great grandparents, 32 third great grandparents, 64 fourth great grandparents, 128 fifth great grandparents. This Assuming, of course, that uh, your family trees didn't grow close together. 256 great, six great grandparents, 512 seventh great grandparents, 1,024 eight great grandparents, 2,048 ninth great grandparents, and we could keep going. Do you know that if you back this thing up to 12 generations, that's about 400 years. It's not exact because, of course, some generations turn over a little quicker than others, but you back this up to about 12 generations and you've got 4,900, 4,094 rather, ancestors over the last 12 generations. Well, it might be good news on some fronts. You're part of a large family. But think for a moment about what that means. The struggles the mistakes, the hopes and the dreams, the failed realizations, the addictions. There were some bright spots. No doubt you're related to somewhere back, some very famous people that changed the world. Sure, sure, sure. But even if there were a few of those, the vast majority of those 4,094 people who had an influence, an impact on who you are, had mistakes and problems that they passed, if only, if each one only passed down one mistake, one problem they passed down, you are now a compilation of 4,094 problems. Huh. Kind of a humdinger. There's bright spots. Sure, they they passed down some wonderful attributes. I mean, look look at us. But we 
need help. I need help. I'm the result of 4,094 people who had problems. This thing isn't going to be fixed. I'm not going to be fixed by just making a few adjustments in my life. And that's where I want to, you got to get that part because the rest is just a waste of our time together if you don't get that part. This, this who you are, you're special, you're, you're, you're creation of God, absolutely. But we are part of a long heritage of people who have failed and made mistakes, just complicating that, turning it over, handing it down to the next generation. The fix is not you deciding that you're going to read a couple extra books a year and, and, and self-help yourself out of this thing. You don't climb out of 400 years, 12 generations of problems by reading a few extra books or going to a few classes or graduating from high school. You say, none of my family has graduated from college in the last two generations. Well, fine, but you're not going to fix the problem by going to college and graduating from college. That's not the fix of 4,094 problems. There's got to be something, as scientists will say, an external stimuli. Something from the outside that comes in and fixes the problem on the end. Because this, this isn't just a, a, a few adjustments. Hey, look, I, I'm going to give up sugar. Fix it. It's not like that. All right, grab your Bibles. Because there's good news in the midst of those 4,094 bad news. We're going to 2 Peter. You know where that's at? Yep, back of your Bible. Peter's put... Written by the Apostle Peter, the disciple of Jesus. It's right there after the book of James. So there's a couple of small books right before the book of Revelation, and you're going back to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Above all, that's a pretty important statement. Above all. You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, the, the, the words of the prophets, came about by the prophets' own interpretation of things. This isn't, this isn't the prophets making this stuff up. For prophecy never, you can just imagine Peter, I mean, Peter's just kind of this all or nothing kind of guy. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. Now, that's an interesting Greek word that he uses, human will. It's the Greek word thelema, and it's used, other gospel writers use it. The gospel writers actually use it about the, the coming of Jesus. The gospel writer John uses it when he says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, but it didn't come by the will of man. This will is, is, is a biological experience, the will uh, of procreation. It is a biological, the thelema of man is a biological uh, a event, but it's so much more. It's also a philosophical, a deep down what are the desires of man? What are the wishes and wants? And what is the purpose, the aim of man? So it talks about everything of man. Uh, uh, Jesus was, was, came not because of the will of man, the thelema, meaning he didn't come because of some biological function, which is why Joseph said, whoa, Mary's pregnant. I had nothing to do with that. 
let's put her away and, and get this taken care of. And God shows up and says, hey, Joseph, don't do that because I had something to do with that. I, I, I skipped the thelema of man. So coming to Peter, Peter says, yeah, that's exactly how Jesus came. So came the prophetic word. The words that the prophet spoke came in the exact same miracle as it took to birth Jesus. That's how important heaven sees the prophecies, the, the prophetic word of God. So Peter says, hey, they didn't come by the thelema of man, not by, the, not by any desire or, or, or event or accomplishment of mankind. It didn't happen that way. They came because, well, how did they come? But prophets, though human, very human, like you and I, spoke from God as they were carried, away, carried along by the Holy Spirit. The exact same third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, who delivered Jesus to Mary is the same Spirit that delivered the Word to the prophets. It's the same miracle happening over and over and over. Why is that important? Well, because this is an external stimuli. This is saying, you've got problems, you've got 4,094 problems to be exact, and now you can't fix this by reading a couple extra books, going to a couple extra classes, or graduating from college. This is not you doing better. This is me coming in with an outside solution. This is not a better leader, not more politics, not more money. This is not a fix you can take care of. This isn't a better job, a better relationship. It isn't any of that. This is a supernatural, that is an external stimuli, an, an off-this-planet answer to the problems on this planet. That's what Peter's saying. These prophetic words, they come as an answer to fix the problems we have. I don't know what, if you guys understand what we just, just under, uh, concluded, but what people spend billions of dollars trying to solve, we've got the answer. I mean, I would have just imagined in my, in, in, my, in my most conservative estimations, a smile. I mean, no amen. We don't, I mean, I'm not pushing for any amens here, beloved. I mean, but just relief that we have an answer to the problems on this planet. <sighs> ah, you guys are incorrigible. Or maybe it's me. But do you understand? This is the solution that, 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 this planet has its mind stretched to the limits trying to solve. And God says, hey, I've got an answer. It's, it's, it's nothing you're going to fix. It doesn't matter who your president is or how much money you've got or how this relation, it, that doesn't fix it. You've got 4,094 problems. It's not fixed like that. An external stimuli. Ah, this is why 2 Chronicles 2020, our theme text for this eight-week eight week series that we are concluding today. Jehoshaphat stands up, says, hey, Judah and Jerusalem, you guys hear me and hear me well. Believe in the Lord your, your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you will prosper. God isn't playing around with this. Well, look, I, I, I've got, you've got problems and I'm gonna just try to keep you from self-destructing. No, God is saying, I want to do more than, than keep you from self-destructing. I want to prosper you. I wanna give you so much more. 
I mean, come on, that's better than any guarantee. That's better than any promise that, that of any school I've ever attended, of any boss I've ever worked for. It doesn't say, I just want you to survive. No, I want you to thrive. I want you to prosper. I want you to be, whoa. That's what Jehoshaphat says. Now, what was Jehoshaphat? You remember what Jehoshaphat was facing? Let me just rewind the tape to 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 2. I'll put it on the screen. It's just one line. A great multitude is coming against you. That's the news that was flying around Jerusalem and was sitting on Jehoshaphat's desk. A great host. The Moabites, the Ammonites, they're all coming to get you. 4,094 problems are coming to get you. Jehoshaphat, what's your answer? The prophets. The words of the prophets, they didn't come by human will. They, they came by divine origin. They are our external stimulus. They are our answer to the problem. A great multitude. Sounds like 4,094 4, ancestors that have passed on their, their fallen genes, their epigenetics twisted, prone to wonder, prone to sin. Prophecy. That's a word, it literally means a word from deity. And God says, I've got a solution. It's off this planet. Nothing else is going to solve this thing. It will bring life out of death, in fact. And that's what Ezekiel, remember Ezekiel chapter 37? We read that passage a couple of weeks ago, Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel's always going on trips. If I were to ever be a prophet, I'd want to be Ezekiel because he's always getting taken on a trip. Hey, Ezekiel, his, his, his angel was like a traveling angel because he always took him somewhere. And this time he takes him, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. So he's in the middle of this valley. Sometimes he goes and sees a temple or other place. He's in the valley. It was full of bones, right? Remember this vision? Full of bones. And he specifically, Ezekiel looking at the bones says, whoa, these bones were very dry. All right, these are dried up, not nothing left of life on them. But then his guide says, hey, I want you to prophesy to these bones. I want you to speak God's words, words from a deity, prophecy, words from a deity. I want you to speak God's words to these bones. And verse 10 says, they came to life. Well, you know, the rest of, you know, the whole muscles and sinews and everything came together and there was a rattling and they came. <laughs> but the dry, the very dry bones came to life. Death, really dead death came back to life because of the external stimuli, the words from a deity. Prophecy brings life out of death, hope out of hopelessness, help in helplessness. That's what Peter's saying. That's what Ezekiel is saying. That's what Jehoshaphat in Chronicles is saying. And you can say, well, they had a, they had a nice life. But when you're talking about Jehoshaphat, his was not nice. nice. He was, his neck was on the chopping block. He knew he would be the first one to go. But he said, hey, you guys, let's hang on to God's word. Let's hang on to the words of the prophets. And we'll survive. Walter Brueggemann, I read these lines to you weeks ago. Let me reread them to you the, from the book Prophetic Imagination. Put them on the screen. The task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception altern, alternate to, alternative 
to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. That is an alternative, an alternate option for you. Hey, here's what the world feels and thinks. Here's what you can think. An option that's not on the table on this planet. This is, this is another option the prophets bring you. you don't, this isn't the, the blue or the red. This is a third option. And it's, and it's different than the perception of the dominant culture around us. The rest of the world says, you're crazy. That's not, that can't happen. God says, that, that's me. I do what the rest of your 4,094 relatives couldn't do. I make things come back to life. I fix brokenness and make it whole. Abraham Hetchel, in his book, The Prophets, put his words on the screen, almost every prophet brings consolation, promise, and hope of reconciliation, along with censure. That is correction. He begins with a message of doom, correction, and he concludes with a message of hope. God's word is going to work in us. It's going to do a work. It's going to make some adjustments, but it's going to make adjustments you can't do, you can't fix. Well, could it be, could it be that we have, we have read the prophets so wrong? Could it be that, that we have been reading them as, as some sort of doom scrolling? I, possibly. Think of, think of how we tell, tell the story of Jonah. The part we focus on is this part that where he tells the Ninevites, he preaches the, the hell out of the Ninevites. Oh, he tells them God's going to destroy them, and that fixes them. But Paul tells us it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, and the Ninevites repented. I'm wondering if there's a whole part of Jonah that we haven't even given him credit for. He must have preached about this beautiful, hope-filled God that can bring life out of death. Is there correction? Absolutely, beloved. We need to be corrected. but we have read it and turned them off. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear correction. But that's what leads to the hope and the... F- a story. A story of a farmer is told of lost his watch in a barn, a hay barn, it was an expensive watch in its own way, but it was also a family heirloom, which meant it had significant value to him and his family, and he lost it in the hay barn, and you, you know what a hay barn is, like just season after season of, of hay cuttings begin to accumulate, where sometimes you're standing feet thick on top of hay that has been years in the making. You're not on the floor anymore, you're in a, you're in a hay barn, there's, I grew up I grew up on the ranch swinging off of those hay bales into this, onto the floor of the barn that was thick with hay. He lost his watch. After looking for it and giving up, he walks outside where a group of young people are playing and they, they know him and they greet him, but he, he doesn't feel all that happy and so he doesn't greet them back. And, and so then they notice the difference and they say, but farmer, what's wrong with you? What, what's wrong? He said, oh, guys, it's just a terrible day. I've lost my watch. This was a a special watch. Oh, we'll help you. So then 
eight kids are in there kicking up dust and hay and digging through everything and eventually they give up. And then one of the young boys says to the farmer, hey, can I look, be my guest? Ah, he says, but I need to look alone. Everybody else outside, the young boy moments later emerges from the barn with the watch. How in the world did you find it? Oh, he says, I, I knew my dad's watch made a little tick as it counted time. He says, so I sat in the middle of the barn, absolutely quiet, and I heard it. I heard it. What I could experience by myself alone, I could not experience with eight, eight, eight other kids climbing around looking for this thing. A.W. Tozer speaks up on this point when he says, the voice of the prophet today is seldom heard. Oh, help us, God, then what are we supposed to do? Oh, not because, says Tozer, not because there are no prophets speaking for God, but because the noise and clatter of our culture have so invaded the church that they have drowned out that voice. Oh, I know, you, I know you, like I, think we're invincible. Hey, I can pay attention to all of that. I can, I can absorb all of that news, all of that media, all of that social media, all of that entertainment, all of that music, all of that, all of that, and I can still focus on God. I listened this past week to a, a, a video that I listened to probably every six months over the last number of years. I just, I remind myself, it's, it's uh, Captain... Sully, who, who landed that U.S. Airways flight out of LaGuardia in a crash landing in the Hudson, the river. He shares, in just a 10-minute video, he just shares his experience of what went through his mind in those seconds, literally seconds, that, that, that he just breaks apart. One of my favorite lines is he says, he took, he took, he, he said, I stole three seconds. I risked three seconds before I made the announcement over the PA to the passengers in the back. I took three seconds and we were only talking about hundreds of seconds left. So three seconds was an eternity to steal from, to steal from that, that amount of time. But he said, I took three seconds to make sure what I said over the PA was the right words with the right tone. He says, because courage is contagious. And I had to speak intentionally, and I would only get one chance. And I had to speak intentionally with the right words and the right voice to the passengers in the back. That's, that's an aside point, no extra charge. But the, the, the point of which I bring up uh, his story is he says in those moments, he knew he had to prioritize that he could not multitask. In fact, he says multitasking is a farce. You can, we all think we're multitasking just fine. Hey, I can watch that and do this and do that, and I am fine. My life is fine with that. You are not fine with that. That is a problem. And, 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 and he writes, he, he walks us through this. He says, in those few seconds, I had to prioritize because I knew I could not multitask. You cannot multitask and accomplish a task. In fact, the, the, the bright minds behind it just say you, you end up flipping from task to task, going back and forth, and it's more exhausting, uh, and it's less productive. But 
He says, so in those moments, I had to prioritize in those seconds, knowing that I could not continue to comfort and communicate with the back cabin. I could not continue to communicate with even the air traffic controllers. And you listen to the tape, and of course, it's very short communication. Hey, he says, hey guys, I'm not going to make it back to Teterboro. Up, we're going to be in the Hudson. And the air traffic controller is trying to carry on a conversation. But he knew he could not continue to talk to them and do what he was supposed to do right. That's a lesson for the rest of us. We think we can multitask just fine. I can do all of that and hear the prophets well. The young boy in the barn who found the watch, Captain Soli, they're all speaking the same thing. You've got to stop. You've got to stop, be quiet, and listen or you'll never hear the prophets. You'll never hear them. Well, what's the downside of that? They are the only solution for this planet doomed. Maybe we have heard the prophets wrong. Maybe we've heard them, but we've heard them wrong. We've heard them as condescending, doomsdayers, predicting terrible events that will mark the end of earth's existence. But maybe we've heard them wrong. And maybe those who have told us about the prophets have told us about them wrong. Do they predict incredible events at the end of earth's history? Yes. Do they call for change? Yes. But do you know one of the primary Marks of the prophetic gift in the Bible was the gift of worship and music. Most all of the prophets had music involved in their lives. Hey, you remember Saul, first king of Israel? Boy, howdy, he, he made his own problems, right? But on several occasions, it's recorded that he interacted with Samuel and the others prophets and the schools of the prophets. He interacted with them, and he interacted with them. His life was changed, even if just for a short time, by the worship that he experienced with them. First Samuel chapter 10, First Samuel chapter 19. First Samuel chapter 19, of course, is the time that he was, he had murderous intentions, so he sent some soldiers, and then uh, found out that they got converted over there with the prophets and started worshiping, so then he sent some, and finally, he said, all right, we're going, I'm going myself, because we're going to have some killing, and then he gets converted. You, you think of Jeremiah. What was Jeremiah? What, what, what was his nickname? Oh, we know it, Jeremiah as, as the, the weeping prophet. Do you know that before he became the weeping prophet, he was known as the singing prophet? Oh, we've skipped that part. We've just made him the weeping prophet. Oh, he must be a weep. But David, talk about David. All of the psalms, his prophetic psalms, he sang them. Miriam, Deborah. These were musicians because they worshiped. And then you get to Revelation 11, and there's this prophetic proclamation in the throne room of God of what God is about to do on planet Earth. It's a prophetic statement, and it's in the context of a great, grand worship service. Oh, maybe we've read the prophets wrong. Maybe we have quoted them wrong, beloved. Maybe we've passed on from generation to generation a picture that God says, that's not the prophets I know. That's not the prophets I sent. Yes, they were, they spoke sternly. They spoke directly. But that's not the problem. We forgot to talk 
about how hope-filled they were. Arnold Summerfield, the German physicist and uh, pianist, observed that in a single hydrogen, hydrogen atom, which emits about 100 frequencies, there is, it is, which emits 100 frequencies, is more musical than a grand piano, which only emits 88 frequencies. In a single atom is the unique expression of God's creative genius, and, the, and that means that every atom is unique in its expression of worship. According to the composer, the American composer, uh, he passed away back in the early 1990s, uh, Leonard Bernstein. He says, the best translation of, of Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, at, well, in multiple places in Genesis chapter 1, where it's translated, and God spoke, or and God said. Bernstein says, no, 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 I've, seen, I've read it, I've read it, I've read it, I've read it, and based on the fact that creation r- reflects music, he says, I believe the better translation is that the Almighty sang, and God sang, and God sang, and God sang. Research in the field of bioacoustics has revealed that we are surrounded by millions of ultrasonic songs. Supersensitive sound instruments have discovered that even earthworms are musical. It's a little staccato, but they've got their own rhythm. Lewis Thomas puts it this way. If we had better hearing and could discern the descants, singing of seabirds, the rhythmic timpani of, of dr- the drumming of the schools of mollusks, of mollusks, or even the distant harmonics of midges, the flies hanging over the meadows in the sun, the combined, listen to this last line, the combined sound of all creation might lift us off of our feet. You got the earthworms doing their little staccato. You got, you got the seabirds singing and the, and the sea creatures giving their little, little rhythmic timpani. You see, Music Fest isn't reserved for a weekend at Campion Academy or anywhere else. It is part of creation. That's Music Fest there. Oh, I don't know. Maybe there's Mr. Mr. Clouset's and the earthworm family teaches the little, little earthworms how to get their rhythms. But this is the God that says, I'm going to give you hope and I'm going to give you a word from the prophets and it will be, it will be life to your death, hope to your hopelessness and help in your helplessness. I believe that's exactly what prophecy is. It's God's expression of hope. It's going back to 2 Peter. Remember 2 Peter? The whole prophecy didn't come by the will, the thelema of man. Let me just read one verse that we skipped. It's verse 19. It's verse 19. We also have the prophetic message, that's the words of the prophets, as something completely reliable. You can trust it with your life. And and that uh, stands in stark contrast with everything else that we hear. 
can trust it, completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Does that sound hope-filled? Does that sound help-filled? Does that sound life in death, light in darkness? Absolutely, that's what the prophetic words were meant to be, but we have construed them and made them into timelines and doomsday predictions. No, God says these, these prophetic words they will speak life into you. They will fix the 4,094 problems that have been handed down to you. The prophets, they elevate God. They lift him up. He's the only being in the universe that can be lifted up, exalted, and it impacts everyone else too in a positive way. If you exalt any other person on this planet or in this universe, it degrades us all. You lift me up, I lift you up, bad news for this world. But you lift God up and we all get lifted. I serve as as a police chaplain for the Loveland Police Department. It means that I'm on call several periods of the month for things like death notifications, unfortunately, suicides or attempted suicides for families or individuals, difficult times. We get called out for that. But it also means that the the police department has requested that we fill a certain number of shifts on the street with the officers. So this last week, finished up work here at the office and and changed out to the, they give us a uniform and a vest and badge We go out and work the streets. So I headed out for a couple of hours in the evening to work together. And we're we're about done for the evening. In fact, we're headed back to to the station. The officer I'm working with, there's a call out over the radio. There's a, there's a physical disturbance. There's a physical altercation, a fight at the Safeway. And he says to me, I, he said, we got to go. So we, we head that direction. We, we arrive. There's several other officers that are already there, and they've, they've taken a man out of the store who was attacking others. It's a cold night. I've got a coat on. This, this man is he's in handcuffs and he's being put in the backseat of the police car. He's yelling obscenities at everybody and anybody. <laughs> it's not super funny at this point, but the guy in the green truck, he says, the guy in the green truck, I'll, I'll take you on. And he's looking around the parking lot. Who, who else wants to? He's, he's out of his mind. They've been picking a fight with people in the store. And he's in the back of the police car, and he's just, he's just berating everybody. The officer that, that put him in there and puts his hand on the man's shoulder, kind of looks into his face a little bit and says, I really wish you could settle down and we could talk about this. The man, the perpetrator, 
The man in the back seat said something that gripped my heart. I'll never forget. I can hear his voice today as I could just a few days ago. He catches himself a bit, pauses at these nice words spoken to him, just the very calm words. He catches himself for a minute and he looks up into the face of the officer and he says, I just want to go to my spot and go to sleep. I just want to go to my spot. Here's a full-grown man, a child of God, a creation. He doesn't have a home. He has a spot, probably under a bridge or in some thickets, in a tent somewhere, in an out-of-way place behind some building. It's not his. It's not a home, it's a spot. I want to go to my spot. It was broken. A man that God had dreams for, no doubt. I don't know if it was this man's fault. Maybe he lost his mind to drugs and to alcohol. Maybe it was mostly his fault. Or maybe the generations before him were so consumed and addicted and broken that they handed him life that he couldn't handle. But just down the road from us, in this very warm sanctuary, was a man who said, on a cold, dark night, I just want to go to my spot. We went in and interviewed the, the people that he attacked. They were all very gracious. They had held him down until the police had gotten there. And they wanted to buy him a grocery cart full of food. They said, we don't want him to know who we are. Obviously, he's, it didn't bode well for us in this. But can we buy him a grocery cart full? That's not God's dream for that man. I wanted to take him by the shoulders, look into his eyes and say, sir, sir, I want you to know God has dreams for you. Dreams much bigger than a spot in a dark, out-of-the-way place in this city. He dreams of a mansion, a place you can call home. He has dreams for you. I wanted to take him and look into his eyes and say, in fact, Jeremiah, the singing prophet, sung of this when he said in verse 11, chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's God's dream for that man, this man, and for you. And his prophets, the prophets, the words that the prophets have, that's what they're meant to do. And our reluctance or our distraction 
or our disregard of their words is only a punishment to ourselves, is only destructive. Jehoshaphat stands up and shouts, not to Jerusalem and Judea, but to Campion and this campus, and says, believe the Lord, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will prosper. I'd like to invite the worship team, please. They're going to lead us in this theme song, Be Thou My Vision, one more time. The man in front of the Safeway. Externally, he may look more broken, but internally, I don't believe he's any more broken or unbroken than those of us sitting here. We will go to our homes when this is done. But in our heart of hearts, we know The darkness of our own souls needs healing and a healing that we can't provide with another degree, another job, another relationship, or another book. We can't do it. That's when God shows up and says, I've got the help you wanted. It's right here. Beloved, we've got the answer. Why wouldn't we use it? Why won't we use it? For the last eight weeks, I've appealed to you. Would you spend eight weeks focused on the prophets? Would you spend seven weeks? Would you spend six weeks, five weeks, four weeks, three weeks, two weeks? Would you? But I'm no longer asking you to spend weeks on the prophets. I'm inviting you for the rest of your life to be saturated with the words of the prophets. Let God bring life to your lifeless, help to your helplessness, and hope to your hopelessness. No doubt there's some who have never made that decision that they would. They would allow themselves to be gods and only gods. They would belong fully to him. So I want to put the connect number up on the screen. 970. You just text it. You say, I I want to be. I want to be baptized like D'Angelo. I want to make a decision. I'm tired of trying to multitask my life. I want to be all in. 970-279-3432. You text that number or you take the connect card in the pew in front of you and you fill it out and you say, I want to make a decision like D'Angelo made for Bible studies or baptism. (sighs) Whatever it is that God has put on your heart, you mark that down. That's what we're here for. Not to stay the same, but to be changed. Our helplessness, our hopelessness, and our lifelessness. To give up our spot to the mansion God has prepared for us. He's got more, more for you than we've ever dreamed. Let's go, beloved. Let's go. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.